Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to episode 160. This is Unabridged Awards for 2020. Before we get started, we want to remind you that we have put out our reading challenge for 2021. So you can find that on our website if you're interested in participating. And we have a lot of great categories on there that we think are really going to be fun challenges for you in 2021. We will also be connecting those to some of our episodes, or I guess episodes to some of those different categories. Also, if you are interested in supporting the podcast, we have a great unabridged ambassadors program that is totally free for you. In fact, you even get some great gifts. You can also find information on our website. That's unabridgedpod.com. Ambassadors just help promote our podcast and they get to participate in some of the decision making and share ideas with us. And we really love our ambassadors. They are a great group. You've heard some of their voices on recent episodes, so you can even get a little moment of fame if you're interested. All right. Well, we are going to start now with our bookish check-in. Sarah, what are you reading? So I'm reading Liz Moore's Long Bright River. I'm listening it, listening to it on Libro FM, and I I'm almost finished. And it is it is part mystery, part kind of family drama. The main character of the book. His name is Michaela and everybody calls her Mickey for short. She is a police officer in a particular section of Philadelphia that is, has been, really been impacted by the opioid epidemic. She has some family connections with that. And she is also trying to kind of solve these murders that are happening to these young women who are, you know, on the streets and, there, there's just kind of a serial killer type thing happening. And so she's trying to figure out what is going on with that. And she's also trying to find her sister who has been impacted by drug addiction and she hasn't seen in several months. So it's kind of all this stuff intersecting and how they relate to each other. And it's very compelling. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think that if you like that type of police procedural type thing, and you like reading stories about family dynamics, I think it would be really good for you. I think that it is solid. It's not my most favorite book, but I definitely was compelled to find out that the resolution of the story, and I think it's well-written. And I think having read Dope Sick, which is a nonfiction book by Beth Macy, it definitely gave me an appreciation for this particular fictional story. I think that that what Dopesick did for me is when I read these types of books, it gives me a better understanding of where the story is going and how it how addiction impacts families and gives me some compassion for that. So I I really liked it. I thought it was solid. So that is Liz. Moore's Long Bright River. And it's excellent on audio. The narrator's great. I've had that one on my shelf. I really want to read that. Well, currently I have Ashley's copy on my shelf because <laughs> I borrowed it. My book club's reading that in the spring. So 
And I was happy to get it off of my shelf since I have not yet read it, but it sounds great. And I do hope to read it soon. I just needed something kind of compelling to keep me interested. I've tried a bunch of different things, which I know are good books, but I just wanted something that kind of hooked me. And this has done that. So I appreciate that too. Ashley, what are you reading? So I have been working through some books that I wanted to make sure that I read and I am not doing a great job with that. And so, so in my inability to make progress on those, I have started some others that I really, really <laughs> wanted to read. It's, it's quite a, a phenomenon that I'm like, why is this happening? I have all these, I have a clear list. I've made a list in multiple places and somehow I'm reading these other ones instead. It's okay. So I was conflicted about which one to share because I've started several recently, but I'm going to go with Talia Hibbert's Take a Hint. Danny Brown. And I have talked on here before, I think, I, at least for a bookish check-in about Chloe Brown. And I absolutely loved that. And not only did I love that story, but I also, I loved Hibbert's style and her characters. And I just felt like I am here for the style that she has and the voices she creates. And so Danny Brown is Chloe Brown's sister. So it is like separate stories, but there are some connections and I'm not very far into it because like I said, I'm supposed to be reading these other things on my e-reader, but alas, that one has <laughs> popped up on my Kindle. And so I started it last night and it is so, so far, all I know is that Danny Brown is a professor at a university and she has she had a somewhat casual relationship with a colleague and that fell apart. And part of why that fell apart is that she did not want this like romantic commitment. She really wanted to try to keep things casual. She feels like that is her destiny and that she is not able to have a more romantic relationship. And so instead she wants things to be casual with, with partners. And so that's kind of the premise of the book is her reeling from the emotional impact of that, but also wanting to believe that she's not reeling from it. And so early on, we see that experience for her that she, and very early in the book, she runs into the colleague. And so they have this kind of brusque exchange and you can tell that both of them have feelings for each other, but that it's just not going to work out as they move forward. And meanwhile, there is a security guard at the building where she works who has who definitely has her attention and she is aware of him and he's aware of her and yet he knows that she's had this relationship with an, a female colleague and so he is kind of interested but can't tell what her feelings are and then right at the beginning there is a gas alarm and she gets stuck in an elevator so that's where i am right now and she is stuck in an elevator in the building and the security guard i hope is going to realize that she is stuck and and then i'm sure that interesting things will ensue and i am here for i'm here for it i love her voice i love danny brown as a character and like i said i just felt like with Hibbert's other book that I right away when I read Chloe Brown, I was like, I could read everything this that this author writes. I just really enjoy her characters. I love the relationships between the women in the stories. Like the sisters were great in Chloe Brown's story. Like they had a really great relationship. And so I just think all that is really ritually drawn. So again, that is Talia Hibbert's Take a Hint, Danny Brown. 
And it's number two, but I think, and Jen, have you read both of them? I think you probably yeah. could read them out of order. It, it, yeah. Like they're loosely connected, but I don't think that you have to read one or the other. So, yeah. Yeah. Talia Hibbert has quite a backlist. She's written a lot of books. I so. could go through that backlist. So yeah. I'll report back on, yeah. <laughs> on how that goes. <laughs> That'll be Ashley's reading challenge for the year. <laughs> I, I, do, I mean, I really enjoyed I'll be curious to get through this one and then try something else of hers. But I just love the voice. And I think I appreciate that. Yeah, I I have found that there are different kinds of romances and that Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to know whether I'm going to like a romance book or not. And so when I find an author that has the kind of romance that I really enjoy, then I, you know, I'm here to read more of them. So Mm -hmm. what about you, Jen? What are you reading? So I am in the middle of Lisa Coe's The Leavers, and there's a little bit of a funny story here. So Read with Tony chose this as her buddy read for the month, and I exclaimed how excited I was to read it, and then I started reading it and realized I'd read it already. (laughs) And as soon as I read the first page, it all came back to me, and I loved it. So I was like, I'm happy to read it again, but I felt absolutely ridiculous. Anyway. Oh, I just want to pipe in and say that in Jen's defense, she reads hundreds of books a year. So I do think it's reasonable to have missed the mark on the fact that you'd read it until you started it again. Well, thank you. I appreciate I appreciate the defense. I, I really felt really bad because I did like it. It's not even a book that I didn't enjoy. Anyway. I'm personally like- scandalized. <laughs> I knew that someone would be. Thank you. I read like three books a year. So. <laughs> Outside the podcast, (laughs) you read and remember them, right? (laughs) So it is about a boy named Deming who grew up in China until he was about 10. And then his mother brought him to the United States to live with her where she has been. So he'd been raised by his grandfather. He absolutely loves his mom. He thinks she's amazing. They're very close. And they live with her mom's boyfriend and the boyfriend's sister and the sister's son. So it's this tight knit kind of found family that is really fun to watch. One day his mom disappears and they have no idea where she went. They had plans to move to Florida. They live in New York city. They had plans to move to Florida, but Leon and Vivian, Leon's sister don't think that she's gone there. They don't know. She, they, they just don't know. And so for a while, they're all still there in the apartment, kind of hoping that his mom will come back. Leon eventually goes to China himself, leaving Deming with Vivian and her son, Michael. And finally, one day, Vivian takes Deming by the hand and basically gives him over to foster care. And he ends up being adopted by these two white college professors in this really small town where he is the only student, the only kid of color. And he just feels really outside of things. He has major fear that he's going to be abandoned if he does the wrong thing. So it's, it's really, really heartbreaking. And then it flashes forward and we see him as an adult and the, the damage that that trauma has caused like, he's okay, kind of, but clearly there are still things he's reeling from. And so we're sort of seeing how those experiences when he was so young have impacted him as an adult. So that's where I am right now. And that's actually, there's a big spoiler that happens next in the plot after what I just described. So I don't want to go into that, but yeah, it's, it's a brilliant novel. It's really, really well written. 
but also quite propulsive. It's really compelling. I have major guilt that I forgot that I read it because it is so good all over again. I can't, I don't know how I forgot it. There's tons to talk about. And I think, yeah, it, it's one of those issues books without feeling like an issues book. So when I break it down, I can think of all these issues we're going to talk about in the buddy read. But what I'm feeling are compassion for the characters and interest in what's coming next in the plot. So that is Lisa Coe's The Leavers. That sounds great. I've seen that one a lot, but I actually didn't know much about the plot. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, I feel like we should have a drum roll, but we'll kill the mic. So we won't do that. So just imagine in your head a drum roll. And we are moving on now to the Unabridged Awards. We were talking at the beginning that we are all glad that we are not saying these are our favorite books of the year. But these are books that we just want to highlight here at the end of the year. They're books that we enjoyed for different reasons. All right. So we are each going to give two books awards and we have created the awards ourselves, which we'll be able to tell very soon. So one of the books will be YA. So one non-YA book and one YA book. Ashley, do you want to share one of your picks? Sure. So like Jen said, this was really tough for me this year. I've read a lot of really, really great books. And so I tried to, which is a good problem to have, but I tried to just not focus on picking a favorite, but instead think about different books that I've read. And the one that I wanted to share actually goes nicely with what I shared for the bookish check-in. Prior to this year, I really hadn't read many romance novels. So the one that I'm choosing is... Drum roll, please. A romance. (laughs) (laughs) Both Jen and Sarah were like, does she want us to do something? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Is a romance book that taught me I can love love books. And the one that I picked for that is Helen Huang's The Bride Test. And honestly, this wasn't the very first romance that I read. But seriously, romance books are new for me as a genre. And I was thinking back and I did read Casey McQuiston's Red, White and Royal Blue, not this past summer, but the summer before. But that really was one of the very first classified as romance books that I had read. And I really loved it. And then this winter, I read Helen Huang's books, and I did The Bride Test, and then also The Kiss Question. I had borrowed them from Jen, so they were on my list of books that I borrowed and wanted to return. And I just absolutely loved this book. Esme Tron is one of the main characters, and she is trying to get out of Ho Chi Minh City and needs like her life situation is really desperate and she really needs a way to make a better life for herself and her young daughter. And the other main character is Kai and he lives in America and he believes that he has no feelings. And so he is, you know, thinking that he's never going to have a romantic partner. That's just not something that's going to be in his life. And meanwhile, Other people in his life see how kind and caring and loyal he is, and so they're wanting him to have a relationship. So his mom is doing some meddling and and is trying to bring about some romance in his life, and all of that leads toward Esme and Kai meeting. And it, I absolutely, I was just absolutely here for the story. I think that I love the romance part, but also I felt like Huang does a great job of exploring 
the complexities of people and also like cultural dynamics and relationships between them and the ways that we want to please the people that we love. So there's a lot about Kai's relationship with his mom and like his desire to please her. And also Esme's desire to get out of her situation. So I just feel like she does a great job of painting these really rich characters who have really complicated circumstances. Like his circumstances are all related to like social dynamics and that kind of thing. And he has a lot to navigate there. And Esme's circumstances are that she has a lot. Uh, I mean, her life is very hard and she is wanting a better life for her and her daughter. And so she's taking this opportunity, but it's also a pretty big risk. And so she's going to America, but she's taking this huge risk to do that and is also worried that it's going to be hard to like navigate that relationship and admit that she has this young child who is also part of the picture. So all of that stuff is just really fascinating. And I think for me, those two reading that one and then the kiss quotient, which I read in that order, this is actually number two, but it doesn't matter. And I just found that I could really enjoy romance and I'm really glad that I read them because that was before quarantine started and I did not know what 2020 would bring. And so that's been a really great discovery for me. And like I said, with Talia Hibbert's books that I have learned that romance is still hit or miss for me. And there are a lot that I don't love that I know other people really enjoy and they'll be highly recommended and I'll read them and they just don't work for me. But I'm finding that there's definitely a vein in there that is like my lane and it works for me and I really love it and the feelings I get from it. So that's why I chose it. Like I said, it wasn't, my absolute favorite of the year. It's just that I think it opened up for me an entire genre that I had not previously explored. And so it stands out to me for that reason. So again, Helen Huang's The Bride Test. That's so great. I love that one so much. And I'm so glad you read romance now. Me too. It's been a good addition to my life, particularly at this point. So I'm very, very thankful. (laughs) All right, Sarah, what's one book that you would like to give an award? So this was also difficult for me because like Ashley was just talking about Red, White, and Royal Blue. I read that and I I just loved it. And also romance is really difficult for me because I just don't, I, a lot of times it just doesn't connect with me. But like this year I read that one. I read Red, Red White, and Royal Blue. And then I read Farrah Roshan's. The Boyfriend Project, and I just love them so much. And last year I read The Kiss Quotient, and I really like that. I'm the steaminess is always difficult for me, <laughs> but but and all of those are pretty steamy. So romance is one of those genres that I really kind of rediscovered, or just I guess not rediscovered, discovered this year that I like. Um, and I found some authors that I really like in the genre. But uh, ultimately, I decided to do my favorite memoir that made me laugh out loud, and that is R. Eric Thomas's Here For It. I've actually talked about it in another episode because that was one of my recommendations for Ashley for our recommendations episode. Still on my list. (laughs) (laughs) So what I loved about this memoir is that normally for me, essays are difficult for me to read. I would rather read a a memoir that is like has a narrative structure as opposed to uh, like multiple essays. But R.R. Thomas in his book, this is essays, but they're in chronological order. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. And I just found his voice. For one thing, I listened to it on audio and he reads it. So like hearing an author read his own words 
And also him talking about being black and being gay and trying to navigate the both of those things and especially being gay and his faith. I just thought it was all very eye-opening, but he has this great humor and he does this really awesome thing in the memoir with mixing some really serious topics and him really on this path to self-discovery with like really funny, inconsequential things, but just hilarious kind of, I don't know, like these little moments of hysteria for, for his readers. And I mean, I, this was back, I read this back in the summer when I was walking in the mornings a lot all by myself and I would be walking, I'm trying to like power walk and trying not to laugh out loud. And I'm sure people who saw me walking because I had my headphones on thought I was losing my mind because it was just, I was just laughing to myself because it was just, he is hilarious, but he is an excellent writer. And I would highly recommend he writes a column for L magazine online. And he comments on a lot on politics, but he also writes about pop culture and he's just really smart and really funny. And I think, and he's very well informed on things. So I think that is really powerful and a writer who can be I think wit and being funny is a really hard thing and being able to talk about complicated issues, but also have humor. I think that is the sign of a brilliant writer and a really smart person. So I, I read his book and I'm a total fangirl now. So that is our Eric Thomas's here for it. And it is, it's a slim book. And if you can get it on audio, I totally recommend it because hearing him read it, is something that cannot be replicated by reading reading it yourself, like in the hard copy of the book. I can't wait to read that one. I'm really looking forward to it. It's great. It is so good. <laughs> I will probably read it to you, even though it's technically not my recommendation, but it's on my list. I do think I, in the episode I said that I could have recommended it to both of you. I was trying to, because I could recommend it to a lot of people because it's just a really good book and hearing his perspective is just really, I mean, I just found it really enlightening and he's just so funny. I love a, I love a book that can make me think, but also make me laugh. And that, mm-hmm. that's what that book did for me. And I would say it is on my top five for the year. What about you, Jen? What is you want? What is one of your awards this year? So I have realized looking at my choices, I have an accidental theme of old things becoming new again. So (laughs) interesting. So my first pick is a favorite reread that was a new discovery. And this is Barbara Kingsolver's The Poisonwood Bible. And I had read this, oh my gosh, probably 20 years ago. And I will just say, I love Barbara Kingsolver. I love all things Barbara Kingsolver. But I have always said since I read that book that this is the one book of hers that I did not love. And which you know, and I previously bit, very much disagreed on this right. particular topic. So, <laughs> I would be like, oh, I love her, except for that one. And <laughs> so read with Tony's getting all the shout outs. So read with Tony had chosen this as a buddy read and I love to do her buddy read. So I was like, well, I can read it again. It's been a long time. And I don't know what I was thinking before. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't enjoy it. That book is absolutely brilliant. So it is the story of a family in, I can't remember, is it the 19, it's like the late 1950s, early 1960s. They go to the Belgian Congo as missionaries and it's four daughters and then their parents. And they are completely, completely unprepared for what they will find there. And 
the chapters are narrated by each of the four daughters and by their mother. And the voices are completely distinct. I, You would know from sentence one, even if their names weren't in it, who was speaking with each new chapter. Their personalities are unique. And each is approaching, you know, the whole concept of colonialism and of being in this place where they go in, their dad, Nathan, thinks that he is going to go in and just save the whole village and just turn everything around and sort of fix these people without any understanding of who they are or what their living situations are. And he doesn't have any interest in that. He doesn't really want to know the people at all. And so you see these girls, you know, initially one of them very much loves her dad and she wants his approval. And so she tries to do all these things. And then she starts getting to know these people and understanding their lives. And it's just about new, how, how you react to change, how you react to new information, how much you feel like you can exert your will on the world and other people will follow what you think they should do and how much you have to accept that situations matter and that how people live matters and that you can go in thinking, you know, everything, but you have to be open to the idea that you have things to learn as well. And yeah, I just, it it has a long scope of time. So it is truly epic just in scope. It covers decades. It covers these women's lives. And I just could not have loved it more. So that was a humbling experience because I like most books. So for me to discover that a book that I didn't love is one that I should have loved made me think, hmm, what are the other like handful of books in my life that I haven't liked so much? Maybe I was wrong there too. So that is Barbara Kingsolver's The Poisonwood Bible. I have to say that when I was thinking through my books of the year, that one crossed my mind as well because I also hadn't read it in a very, very long time. And it was such a rich experience to reread it. And I was really surprised by that. Just, I knew, I mean, I did love it before, so I knew I loved it, but I felt I was not prepared for how much I would love the rereading. Yeah. And just like how much more I got out of it. So I think that's really, that's really remarkable when a book can hold up like that. Yeah. I love rereading. So I have to say, and I haven't done a ton of it this year, but I, yeah, when it's a good book like that, like you said, if it holds up, that's such a sign. And I just, yeah, this is one that definitely, I feel like I could read it again today and notice 50 things that I didn't this last time. So, all right, well, we are ready for round two. Everybody get ready. Ashley, what is your second book? So the second one that I wanted to share for our YA choices is a new to me book that is fascinating and important. And that is Brittany Morris's Slay. I read this one right at the beginning of of 2020. And I think why I wanted to share it is because I had not heard a tremendous amount about it prior to reading it. Jen recommended it to me, I believe, is how I came across reading it. But I really hadn't seen that many people talking about it. And I was blown away. I just thought it was a brilliant book. So In this one, Kiera is the main character, and she, unbeknownst to everybody in her life, she has created a game that is only for Black people. So everybody knows she's a gamer, but what they don't know about her is that she's also created this game, and that that game is a roaring success. So everyone knows about the game All these people are playing it, but no one realizes that she is the one who is the creator. So she's protected her identity and 
created it, but she's created it as a safe space for Black gamers. And so it's really a celebration of Blackness. It is a remarkable game that gives them a space that they're really, that that the Black gamers who are participating are really enjoying. But because it is exclusive and reserved for Black gamers, it causes all this controversy. Because it becomes a huge phenomenon and all these people are playing, then it becomes, it's all in the news and it's being really scrutinized and people are giving it all kinds of negative labels and saying, how dare people do that and, you know, exclude other people and all that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, she has her real life where she is an excellent student. She has a boyfriend and a friend group and none of them know, and she's close to her family, but none of them know that this is going on. And then the negative criticism is mounting, but the people who love it are also, there's more and more fans. The fans are desperate to protect the game. So I think why I wanted to share it is that Morris does such a great job of telling a really compelling story about a gamer who has created this really amazing virtual world. And also just that idea of like the inside life and the outside life and how those two things can be very different for teenagers. And I think that is all so fascinating. And there's some really interesting things as the story progresses. I don't want to give any spoilers, but like there are connections between what is happening in her real life and what happens in the virtual space that are fascinating. So I loved all of that. And I also loved the way that Kiera's decision in the book to make it a space that is only for Black gamers gives Morris a chance to really explore race and identity in these really interesting ways. I'm sorry, my house is really loud right now and I won't be able to cut it out because because I'm talking. Excuse me. Loud space. And so she does this really great job of exploring those issues of race and identity and the importance of safe space, but how sometimes safe spaces can also be exclusionary. And I think all of that was really rich. So that was why I wanted to share it, because I think that it is a book that works on a lot of levels and is one that I thoroughly enjoyed reading as an adult. But I think it's great for teens because it invites them to consider these things that I think definitely would push a lot of the readers beyond what they've thought about for themselves. So again, that's Brittany Morris's Slay. That's such a good book. I, I yeah. read that so bad. Oh, Sarah, you would love it's it. Great. Oh my God. Yeah. All right, Sarah, what is your second award? So my award is the most important book of the year. And that book for me is Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi's Stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. And the reason that I chose this one is because I feel like this is such an important book, especially here in 20, like in the year that just passed, 2020. I think that it really lays out some foundational things that have happened in our country over time for young adults so that they can understand why things happened in 2020 the way they they did. And I think as an adult reading it, I learned so much from it and I listened to it and Jason Reynolds reads it. He is phenomenal. You, You know how much we love Jason Reynolds and how much we think that he is not only an excellent author, but just an excellent advocate and speaker to young people and meeting young people where they are. He is just amazing. And in this book, 
he does that also. He is able to speak in a way that I feel like connected to me as an adult reader, but I think will connect even more to a young adult who's reading this book. And it, it feels really difficult to summarize just everything that's in this book. So I just wanted to read just a little small paragraph of what the publisher's description says, because I think it basically encapsulates everything that you're going to get in this book. And it says, through a gripping, fast-paced, and energizing narrative written by beloved award winner Jason Reynolds, this book shines a light on many insidious forms of racist ideas and on ways readers can identify and stamp out racist thoughts in their daily lives. And I felt like that is that really encapsulates what this book does. And I think it is a, such an important book for young people. And when I read it, I knew as soon as I finished it, I knew that it was going to be one of my top books of the year because I learned so much. And as a teacher, I felt like this was an important book to get into the hands of young people. So that is Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi's Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and Do You. Yeah, I was so glad to see that on your list, Sarah, because I felt like that one's such a great one to recognize and one that I know that all of us enjoyed and enjoyed discussing. It's just phenomenal. Well, and I'm just thrilled. So I ended up reading Ibram X. Kendi's original stamp from the beginning and I'm so, it is brilliant, but it is hard. It is dense. And I think there aren't a ton of high school students who are ready for that book. And so I'm so thrilled that it's available for that audience. And then that there's going to be a kid's edition yeah. for an even younger audience. So I just think making that information available to kids is so important. And I'm so glad that they are just aware of what it takes to get it out there for kids as well, for children and teenagers and yeah. And us, because we just, love it. <laughs> yeah. And I just think it's so important that there are people who are questioning the lens through which we have looked through history for a really long time in our country. And I really appreciated that too. Yeah. Same. Jen, what is your last pick? All right. So this one is a new take on an old subject. And I have talked often on the podcast about my World War II book fatigue. And it's not that I don't appreciate the value that those add, but I have read a lot of books about World War II. And often I feel like the perspectives there are the same. And this year, for whatever reason, I happened to read a lot of books about the incarceration camps that happened in the United States and about Japanese Americans experiences in those. And a lot of them were excellent, but the one I want to shout out now is Tracy Cheese. We are not free. And this young adult book, I could not love it more. It is about 14 second generation Japanese Americans who come from the same community and end up, some of them end up in the same camp for a while and then end up spread out. It's boys and girls there is one chapter devoted to each voice, and they are unique both in their perspectives, but also in writing style. She does a lot of experimentation. So there's one that's told in verse. There's one that's told in second person. You get a sense of these teenagers' personalities through their voices. And because of the breadth of it, you get this larger view of this experience and the way some of their parents dealt with that situation, the way that as they were growing older, the decisions that they made impacted each other. 
There are beautiful friendships among these, these kids. There are, there are some romances. There's some unrequited love. It's everything you could want in a young adult novel while also revealing this really important part of our history that sometimes I don't think we acknowledge enough. And so I am just, first of all, digging up Tracy Cheese backlist because I want to read all the things because the writing is just phenomenal. But I just really, and this one's been getting some awards, so I'm hoping everyone will be hearing about it soon. But if not, you definitely need to check out Tracy Cheese. We are not free. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. So that's a good one. That sounds great, Jen. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just, oh, I'm just like overcome just talking about it. It's, I don't even know how to convey how beautiful it is and how powerful it is. And, you know, it's one of those, I was sobbing through chapters, but then there were also parts that made me laugh because the characters are so fully realized that they're kids. And so sometimes even in the midst of tragedy, they are finding humor or they're picking on each other or, you know, they're playing pranks in the camp and just finding a way to make it through the day to day, which, you know, this year has also resonated just in the midst of difficult experiences, what you do to get by. And yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, you should. And I wonder, uh, you've been talking about audio this episode, Sarah, I would be interested if they did this one with a full, you know, with multiple voices. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that they did, because I think just emphasizing that part of it would be powerful. But in print, it was beautiful. So, all right. Well, that is our session of Unabridged Awards for 2020. I will say we are already planning to do some posts to shout out some of our other favorite books from the year. So look out for that on our blog at unabridgedpod.com. But for the end of our episode, we wanted to do some non-bookish awards. So forgive me one, we're doing non-bookish awards. Uh, Sarah, what award would you like to give? So I am giving an award to exercise because I've always been a person who feels that I have to be super sweaty and super fatigued in order to feel like I've accomplished something. And what I learned during 2020 and this first part of 2021 is that walking is really therapeutic for me. And what happened is Adam, who you will hear about in episode that is coming out in the next couple of weeks, he is actually a guest on our podcast, but he, I did some personal training with him and he suggested getting up in the morning and first thing and walking and getting that first sunlight that happens. And so over the summer in 2020, when we were stuck in our homes and all of that, I made a commitment to myself that I would get up and do that, get up early in the morning and walk and be like, get some of that first sunshine of the day. And I tell you that that really made a ton of difference. And then I, a, f- a friend of mine that I don't get to see a lot, she and I actually started meeting at the park at the crack of dawn and we would walk like five to seven miles in the morning before work. And it really made a huge difference. I feel like it not only made a difference in my overall mental health, but it also like I could see a difference in my body. And I think that I have always thought that maybe that wasn't a great form of exercise, but in 2020, 
I have realized, and so that I'm giving that award to walking as a form of exercise and just a form of self-care and mental health benefits. I have discovered that walking works for me. And if I do it, it, it totally changes my day. So I'm giving all the stars to walking. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a great award. <laughs> all right, Ashley, what is your non-bookish award? So this one has been a very new development for me, but it does tie in, I think, to mental health as well. I've been looking for ways to be more organized and I've been looking for ways to make sense of things. And I've talked before on here about how in my job with instructional technology, we talk a lot about how to do things in a digital way. And I just have had to accept that while I have some digital methods that work for me, that I still need paper and pencil. Like I like it. I enjoy the experience of, of writing by hand. And also I need it like it's more, it's helpful to me. And so I want to give my award to bullet journaling. This is one that I've seen so many people now, now I totally get it. I used to feel like it was like a cultish thing and the people, (laughs) people who did it were just ridiculously enthusiastic about it. And I did not think I had the time or energy for it. And I think that instead I have come to see that it's just freeing for me. I think what I really love about it is I've tried, I've talked on here before about, I've tried a lot of different types of planners and none of them have really worked for me. And so recently I've started trying different layouts and things like that to try to do some bullet journaling. And I love it. It's just fun. And I have been able to celebrate the fact that it is just fun for me to design and to make pages look cool. And I love hand lettering and I love all the special pens. I mean, all that stuff just brings me joy. And I think I needed to give myself the space and the grace to appreciate that if I enjoy something, it's okay to just enjoy it and to make time for it. And so that's been really helpful because it does it does feed that desire that I have to make every moment purposeful, <laughs> but also <laughs> it's really fun. And so I think that's been a nice combination for me to discover that I can be working on a to-do list or like a task-oriented thing, which again, I wish that that were not such a driving part of my personality, but ladies, I don't think it's going to change anytime, <laughs> soon, anytime <laughs> soon. And so this does that for me of both being really fun and creative, but also making me feel like I'm helping myself with something that feels productive as well, which is important to me. So it's been a good discovery. So yeah, like Sarah, I think I've learned a lot in 2020 about things that do and mostly don't work for me. I got a long <laughs> list of that, but it's been good to, to you know, that that's certainly been a good part of, of these hard times is finding out some things that that do bring comfort and joy and making space for those in our lives. So, so yeah, bullet journaling is the winner for me. What about you, Jen? What's yours? So my gut reaction was to talk about a particular television show that my husband and I watched recently. And then I realized I just need to say half hour comedies. So I have always been into these really serious dramas and I still love those. There was one year that Kirk and I watched (laughs) felt like every show we watched was about a serial killer. So I have done like the super dark years. But as you all are saying, 2020 has has highlighted the fact that I needed a change. And 
I think they're just, so last year, I think Fleabag was my favorite show. That was a half hour comedy, but certainly it had a lot of angst with it as well. A lot of serious content. This year we started the pandemic and watched all of Schitt's Creek very, very quickly and just absolutely loved it. And then recently we watched Ted Lasso, which has that same sort of spirit of just people who are not perfect, but who are good. And Ted Lasso is the opposite of snarky. So he's he's sort of the anti-David. He is not snarky at all. But Ted Lasso is this American who ends up in Europe and just through good nature and kindness and seeing the strengths in others is able to make a big change in this soccer team, which it's a sports thing. Like, why did I love it so much? But I absolutely loved it. So I'm just ready to give more great half hour comedies a chance. So that's my non-bookish award, half hour comedies. That's how, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, I'm here for those. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. We have really enjoyed giving these awards. We look forward to highlighting some more books on our blog. Again, you can check there for information about our 2021 reading challenge. And if you are interested in supporting the podcast as an unabridged ambassador, there's information about that too on the website. So thanks so much for listening. Let us know what bookish awards or non-bookish awards you would give for 2020. And thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.